A reading from the Gospel according to John chapter 4. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty the water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, 
My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of God for all of you, the people of God. Let us begin in prayer. Gracious and loving God, push aside all of the distractions that we may be present to the power of your word and renew our living waters. Let all God's people say, Amen. When it opened in 1913, it was to great fanfare. The cutting of ribbons, celebrated city officials, everything you can imagine the big launch of a major project in the heart of a big city would look like. 100 years later, it remains in the heart of the city, and in fact, nobody could have predicted how busy and successful this location would continue to grow. More than 750,000, that's almost three quarter of a million people, pass it by every day. In the early 1900s, an inspiring artist was commissioned by the New York Railroad to create a mural like no other. It was to be painted in a new transportation hub that city planners were targeting for travelers and commuters passing through New York City. The mural was to be massive in scale, covering hundreds of feet of ceiling to represent the astronomical constellations of a winter night. Its location in the main terminal would secure its place as the premier celestial achievement and American architecture. When Grand Central Terminal opened to adoring reviews, the stunning ceiling of stars and sky were considered one of the great successes in mural art. It instantly became a point of destination for tourists and commuters alike. Except, here's the thing, it's wrong. The nighttime celestial pattern was painted completely wrong. Nobody knew this at the opening of Grand Central with all of the dignitaries and even the artist standing beneath. Nobody had yet realized that the detailed constellation painting was flat backward due to a mistake that happened when the artist and his painters held the piece of paper upside down and copied the drawing incorrectly. 
This resulted in a sort of star chart flipped to be the opposite of what it should. It actually wasn't the artist who realized the mistake, but in fact an ordinary commuter who noticed and pointed it out. And then the word of the mistake spread, making it, according to the New York Times, perhaps the greatest typo in American architecture. Now, if you take the tour, you'll hear the Vanderbilt family who had commissioned the artist and how they responded. That one just needed to change their perspective to understand that it was as if God were looking down. It is meant to be the way that God sees us. I like the spin. Mistakes, imperfections. Who hasn't felt the pain and the worry that they will be found out, found out that they were the one who made the mistake that the others will learn about and talk about. The pain and the worry that we will be found out that we actually don't know, fill in the blank. That our colleagues will notice that we're not actually as good at our jobs as we wish we'd be. That all the other parents who drop off their child look totally together and yet we feel weary found out that we call ourselves a Christian, but sometimes these crazy thoughts run through our heads because there are times when we are furious and questioning with God. Found out. Imperfections that point out to others that we are not enough and got it all backwards for all of the world to walk by and see. How easy is it to get stuck in life's little moments when all we fear is that glare that indeed God is just staring down in judgment like that pattern in the sky and how we can get trapped in this all or nothing and let it block us from every meaningful gift that God has in store for us. And this, this is where we must enter into today's reading in the book of John, so beautifully read by Morgan. The woman at the well, the outsider, the Samaritan woman, the fallen woman, the titles can go on and on. It's a defining story in the Bible. Jesus talks longer to the woman at the well than he does to anyone in the entire Bible, longer than even the disciples, longer than any conversation he ever had with the Pharisees. And this unnamed woman is actually the first evangelist that we know of. Scripture just told us that she goes on to take her experience at the well public and share of her transformative personal encounter. As we enter the story, let us first give this Samaritan woman a name. This is something I was taught early in my seminary training, that when we come upon a text with an unnamed person. To understand the story better, you must first give this person back their name because they most certainly once had one. The seminary professor who taught me this was actually a feminist scholar and was quick to point out that the majority of the unnamed women in the Bible just happened to be women. There are theories of how this happened, including an early pope who scrubbed through and removed many of the women's names and then renamed them back to be Mary and Elizabeth. But no matter how, let us not digress. Important here to meet this woman at the well and perhaps give her the name of your daughter, your granddaughter, your friend or neighbor. 
or better yet, let's not even think about gender here and instead speak into this outsider, this person at the well, and give them your name. Perhaps this unnamed person at the well is really you or me. Jesus comes upon us at the well, and this in itself is surprising because we are there at off-peak hours, precisely so we don't run into anyone. You see, we have a secret. Actually, at this point, it's not a secret. So many people know it, and it's just become easier to avoid as many as we can and do our best knowing that we are being talked about. It makes no sense why this stranger would come here at this time of day. His dark eyes, olive skin, give him away. He actually must be Jewish. Why then would he come near us? Friends, we need to remember that at the time of this story in the Bible, the breach between Jewish contemporaries and their Samaritan neighbors already has hundreds of years of discord between them. This man should know better than to invite conversation. And still, there is banter back and forth. And then you or I end up blurting out exactly the thing that we were trying to avoid speaking about in the first place. Now this should be the moment when Jesus turns and walks away. We've just been accountable to the thing we are trying so hard to avoid talking about and instead of leaving, he shows more of himself to us. And then Jesus says out loud the words that define everything. He tells us over that cool drink of water that he is the Messiah. It is the first time in the Gospel of John that Jesus has proclaimed these words. And instead of this proclamation happening in a grand location, thunderclaps signaling the power of this revelation, these words are spoken in response to when we just shared our truth. This is the moment when our Savior chose to reveal himself to us. And this is the point that we could have just been honest all along. But see, our perspective had to change to understand that when we are in our truth, when we are our most honest, our true selves, this is when Jesus shows us who he is and the distance is broken. And this, this is when I want to come back to that mural at Grand Central, that beautiful constellation in the sky, the one that stunned and awed only to be found out that it was all wrong. And the spin became that it was meant to be the way that God sees us. And I think there's wisdom in that response, but I believe it's for different reasons than intended. We are taught often and early in our lives that our mistakes, our imperfections, our differences are to be kept out of sight. But to put this distance between us and God is to not live fully into the gifts of a life in Christ. Sometimes it has to be about changing the perspective, our perspective. Because Jesus is always surprising us to be fierce about the places that are holding us back. He tells stories of crossing the streets and risking to be of help. 
He pops up to surprise us at Wells and uses that moment to share that he is the one who came precisely for these reasons to disrupt. Jesus is forever bridging the divides between who and what is in and who and what is out, who is chosen and who is despised. And he is forever reminding even the practice clergy and religious leaders that their job is often to cross social boundaries, not to construct them. All this week, I've been thinking about the scripture from last Sunday, the story of the Good Samaritan, and Pastor Werner's sermon message against the backdrop of all that is happening right now in the news cycle, as words such as chant and raids and ice drop into our daily news feeds, Pastor Werner's powerful personal testimony about the radical Christian hospitality that framed his welcome into the United States, it stayed with me because his sermon was a sermon message that was really about love. And if you missed it last Sunday, I invite you to download it this week from the church website. Give it a listen on your way to the subway, on your way to work, or in your car. That text, the Good Samaritan, is a companion scripture to our reading today of the woman at the well. Each of these Bible stories transforms conventional expectations and bridges the divide between who is chosen and who is despised, who is in and what is in, and who is out and what is out. These scriptures remind us that there is work to be done right now. God needs us wholehearted, and we are in a crisis moment in this country. Lines are being drawn with words like Republican and Democrat and third-party candidate, and the word that we must stay focused on cuts through all of those. Christian. For such a time as this, God needs us strong. So what is in your way right now as you stand at that well? As you dig your feet into the earth in the heat of the day with your water bucket over your head trying to balance it all, what is in your way of showing up fully for God? Preacher Barbara Brown Taylor puts it like this. The Messiah is the one who shows you who you are by showing you who he is, crossing all boundaries, drop all disguise, so that you go back to face what you never thought you could face again. And we don't go alone. Recently, as I was getting ready for worship here at FAPC, I was digging into a bag to look for a pen, and when surprise, I pulled out this out of my purse. It's really tiny. I know that you can't see it, so let me explain. It's a petal. It's a beautiful red fabric petal of a rose. For some of you, I'm looking around and I'm seeing a knowing smile, and for others, let, let me tell you more. As Christians, we know it all comes down to that Easter moment when that stone rolled aside, revealing that death is not the last word and that the bounty of Christ is everlasting. Forty days after Easter is Pentecost, 
when the power of the Holy Spirit arrives with a rush of mighty wind. Here at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church, we have a tradition, and on Pentecost, the children all sit in this middle aisle, and the older, more experienced ones know to sneak a peek up at the ceiling, when just at the right moment, these petals fall down like rain, like wind, like tongues of fire, the advocate, the Holy Spirit blowing in. This Pentecost, I must have tucked a petal aside distractedly, only to pull it out now at exactly the moment that I need to be reminded. Because the Holy Spirit is the answer to that distance problem. We do not have a God who is far up in the sky looking down at us. This is not the way God sees us, so far away. Instead, we have a faith and a Holy Spirit that is with us right here and right now. Because sometimes it is about changing the perspective, our perspective. The good news is that we have a God who is not distant looking down at us. We have a God who knows us and meets us exactly where we are. Who needs our hearts and minds right now? A Messiah who's there to greet us when we weren't looking and remind us that we need to make this earth just a little more like it is in heaven. And this is how God sees us. Amen. Friends, it looks like worship has ended, but it's actually just beginning. Let us take our full hearts into the world. The distance between you and Christ is gone. Like petals and winds that fall from the heaven, leave here guided with the power of the Holy Spirit and let your bold voices enter these streets. Let us go in the name of the one who sustains us, the creator, redeemer, and sustainer. And let all God's people say amen. Amen.